بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم يا ان سوره الروم سوره نمبر 30 and we were doing ayah 21 that we started there we stopped there اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لآيات القوم يتفكرون From amongst his signs of his rahmah and his creativity is that he has created for you from your souls hairs and mates so that you may seek and acquire sukoon, comfort with them and in them and then he has placed amongst you mawaddah which is love warahma and mutual compassion indeed in this there are many signs for those who reflect and for those who contemplate and for those who think meaning marriage the institution of marriage is a sign of allah's rahma a sign of allah's existence and creativity that he can get two people from the opposite gender with very different mindsets and very different you know, likes and dislikes to come together and live together for the rest of their lives because they become a team so the idea is to remain a team remain a couple the idea is to just harp on the issue of my rights and your rights then the mawadda and the rahmah is not created the love and the compassion is not created so understanding each other's roles and understanding each other's participation and understanding each other's sentiments and emotions become part of the struggle that marriage requires in order to make it long lasting if we do not appreciate that there is a difference between the two individuals who are married then we will not see this eye as one of Allah's signs we may see it as just this is the ideal and this is what Muslims should do and then it will just be something on the shelf and people will not work towards the idea so we do have to be careful we do not over use this ayah as many of our mashallah younger people in the community they always use this ayah before the khutbah of any nikah that they perform without understanding um, understanding means that you have to work towards becoming compatible so there is give and take if you make it into a rights issue this is my right and a duties issue this is your duty then uh, there will be no mutual compassion compassion has to work both ways not one way you have to be kind to me the wife will say to the husband and the husband will say well this is your responsibility that doesn't work 
So here the idea basically in marriage is that the mindset must be one of a team, not one of an individual. If you become individuals in marriage, then you are no longer a couple. You are self-serving individuals. Then you will say, well, that's their right. It is a legal right, but it's not the way marriage works and performs. There has to be some element of compromise and some element of understanding. But this is a lifelong journey and a lifelong uh, vow that you keep. Anyway, we're not here to do marriage counseling. You can do that later on if your marriage is too late, so just stay there. Don't go anywhere else because the next time you get married, it'll be worse. Be happy with the blessings Allah has given you. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافُ أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ أَلْوَانِكُمْ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتِ لِلْعَالَمِينَ As part of that, the understanding of marriage is that there is diversity in Allah's creation. Understanding that Allah creates and He creates diverse creation is part of His now proof that He exists. So Allah is not one-sided. Allah has many uh, forms of creation. So He's not always black and white, as other ayat of the Quran now inform us. So there's diversity in creation for the soul single unified purpose of worshipping Allah. So we enjoy the diversity to worship the one. The one creates multiple. This is very unique uh, understanding of how we treat diversity. Diversity doesn't mean to say uh, that everyone becomes equal. Diversity does not require equality. Diversity requires that you understand each person's and each creation's role and position in the cosmos, uh, in life, and in Allah's law. Allah has created certain things this way and certain things the other way. You cannot feed a rabbit what you feed a lion. And you can't feed the lion the rabbit. Right? They were diverse, diversity. Likewise, in Allah's law, there are certain roles that human beings perform. Like this ayah. From amongst the sign is that he has created the heavens and the earth, number one. But there's diversity there. That the heavens are high up in the sky, and there's the earth. So there are properties on earth and creation on earth that do not exist in the heavens. They are diverse. They are in contrast with each other, but they have their role to play. So the earth is this way, and the heaven and the universe is this way, the planets, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, whatever. And above that, there are other entities that we don't know. They all have a role, but they're all in sync according to what their role is. As the Quran says, لَلشَّمْسِ يَنْبَغِي لَهَا أَن تُدْبِقِ الْقَمَرِ وَلَلَّيْلُ سَابِقُ That the sun is not supposed to overtake the moon. The sun has a role, the moon has a role. They're both in orbit. And they both float in the heavens. But they don't cross over and overlap. Otherwise, there would be total chaos. We would not exist if the sun decided, oh, 
I have to become closer to the earth because the moon is there. And if the moon, moon decides that I want to be farther away from the earth because the sun is over there. No, they have their roles. So even within diversity, understanding the role of every creation is part and parcel of Allah's plan. The divine plan is to make sure everything functions even though they are diverse. Likewise, when you look amongst human beings, they are diverse humans. The disparity in your tongues, in your languages, and in your colors, the disparity. Everybody who comes from a different tribe or a different ethnic background will have a different language. And everybody who is born and raised in certain parts of the world, we'll have different, uh, now pigmentation, the skin will be different. This is Allah's creativity. He has made you different because that's part of the divine plan. That doesn't mean to say that you become disunited because of those differences. So there is a role for your language and there's a role for another person's language and there's a role for other languages. Once you understand that there is this difference and disparity in language which now gives you your history and your culture and no doubt your civilization. This is what language gives you. It gives you your identity, it gives you your culture, it gives you your civilization. There's a reason why Allah made you this way. And there's a reason why Allah made that person that way. And there's a reason why you are dark, or you are light, or you are yellow, or you are brown, or you are black or white. There's a reason for that. All of that is not because Allah wants you to say that one is better than the other. These differences do not make one inferior, nor the other superior. It should be seen as a, as a, as a proof of Allah's existence and His creativity. All of you, whether you have different backgrounds, different colors, and different languages, should worship the one. So your disparity should lead you to unity. Your diversity should lead you to monotheism and believing one creator, one God, one Allah, and you worship Him and Him alone. That is now the meaning of إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالَمِينَ Indeed, in this, there are many signs for all the worlds. So different uh, worlds will be given different orders and different customs and different values and so on. All of those, when they come together on one platform of worship of Allah, will have a monolithic creed known as Tawheed and will have a monolithic, monolithic way of life known as the Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this is how Islam spread. The Islam Muslims when they went to different countries they did not mess with the local language. And so we now need to eradicate these people and eradicate their culture and their civilization as other invaders did. They kept the language of the local community, they even kept the culture 
and some of the customs as long as they did not contradict Islam and Tawheed and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It was all inclusive, accommodating and incorporating. As long as the monolithic goal was met. What is the monolithic goal? That you all worship Allah and you follow the Sunnah of Muhammad ﷺ, especially in your worship and in your daily customs and in your civilizational codes. This never became an impediment for the spread of Islam. However, every Muslim acknowledged the role of the Arabic language. Right? Every Muslim acknowledged the role, not the superiority. The role of the Arabic language is that the Arabic language is necessary for ibadat, for worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They all appreciate it, they submit it. Why? Because the only way a Muslim can worship Allah is by following and mimicking the Prophet Muhammad And the only way the Prophet and method the Prophet used to worship Allah was in his language. He didn't use Hebrew. He didn't use Assyrian. He didn't use Greek. He didn't use Latin. What did he use? The language he was born with. That is Arabic. So the reason why Arabic became the official language of Muslims in the Ibadat is not because Muslims believe that other languages were inferior and God doesn't listen to you if you make dua in English or Urdu or Farsi or whatever. That's not the reason. So he was get over this kind of very childish approach and say, well, who needs to learn Arabic? We're all Muslims and God's created diversity. Baba, God created the sun and the moon. The sun will never seek to overtake the moon because they both have individual roles to play. Likewise, the Urdu language nor the Farsi language and now today the English language should not seek to overtake the Arabic language as the official language of a Muslim. Why? Because they have their roles to play. It's not a question of inferiority or superiority. When you follow Muhammad sallallahu you follow him in everything, to the T. So if he said Allahu Akbar in Arabic, you're going to say Allahu Akbar in Arabic. Right? And if he said Astaghfirullah in Arabic, you're going to say Astaghfirullah in Arabic. And if he made zikr in Arabic, you're going to make zikr in Arabic. Not that God doesn't listen. We're talking in English. Right? This tafsir of the Quran, which the Quran is in Arabic, we're talking English, which is not the language we should be using, for many reasons. There's just the need. And that's how we convey the message. So in order to, to worship Allah, you must follow the human being who brought you that message. And what was that message delivered in? In Arabic. In order to understand the message, then you can use any language. So the role of any other language is to explain, not to entertain. That's why the Quran says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِهِ لِنُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ That we always send every messenger with the language of his community so that he may explain what it is God wants from him or her. Not because 
Allah is saying or God is saying, your language is inferior or superior. No. It's about explaining the message. So you explain the message in any language, but you worship Allah in the language of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu This is the universality of Islam. You cannot change that. Does God listen to you and say, all oh, praise is due to Allah? Yes. He knows, he understands, he listens. He created you and he created your language. But if you stand there in Salat and say, oh, praise due to Allah, will your Salat be accepted? No. It will not be accepted. Trust me. Not in a million years. It will never be accepted. Why? Because that's not what the Prophet ﷺ did. He didn't say that. He did not do that. So, you follow the code. The code is what Muhammad ﷺ brought. And Muslims never had an issue with this. Muslims went to China. Did the Chinese Muslims in those days say, we need to worship God in Chinese? No. It was their honor and pride to say the Surah Fatiha in Arabic. And it was their pride and honor to now to write Quran in Arabic, not in Chinese. Likewise with all the Indian languages. It was our pride and honor. Any language that Islam came in touch with understood that the value of their language is their existence in the world. And the value of Arabic is worship. I don't worship the way you do. I worship Allah in the language of the Quran and that is what Allah wants. So worship is not about what I want or what other people want. Worship is about what Allah wants from me. This is the way Allah wants me to worship Him. Therefore, I worship Him the way Muhammad worships. That's the bottom line. It was not to show that the Arabs are superior and others, non-Arabs, are inferior. Because there are many Arabs who don't pray, period. Is that true? MashaAllah gives all of you. And there are many non-Arabs who don't pray. There are many languages. Right. So the, the, the issue is not that. The issue is, do you now appreciate that in the diversity that Allah subhanahu has given all human beings, there's a role for every language. And the role that Allah has now appropriated for the Arabic language is that this is the official language of a Muslim's worship. Code of worship. And you submit to that and you are proud of that. And Allah will accept it. So this is now uh, another alam, another world, the world of ibadat. So in the world of the alameen, it's Allah's alameen. Alimin, those are the people who know and understand how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala operates. So those who know, they understand the roles of everything. So now, the mountain has a role, the sea has a role, and the different types of flowers and different types of rocks and minerals uh, and everything else, soils, they all have a role. So another ayat of the Quran talks about how Allah has created different types of people, different types of animals, and different types of species, and different types of mountains. In the mountains have colors also. You go to Arizona, subhanAllah, it's a spectacle of colors. Right? You go to other parts of the country, mashallah, the mountains have different colors. You go to other places in the world, they have different colors. These different colors should lead you to one crater. Not to say that the mountains here are better than the mountains over there. That's not the conclusion you want to draw. They all have their soil and their earth and they all do different things. 
And uh, all of this is for the person who know, uh, who knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the sole creator of all these diverse now, forms of creation. So you worship one through multiplicity. You worship one through multiplicity. The oneness comes from the, the fact that you appreciate Allah is now creating multiples in different ways, in different shapes, in different forms. And even species will have uh, different colors. And this is a spectacle that we should appreciate and say, subhanAllah. Uh, know that Allah is always going to be with you if you appreciate that He is the creator of all this diversity. That is on the back of marriage, that you are diverse in, in, in some of your ways and some of your thinking, that you remain one. Meaning the objective is to remain one despite your or because of your differences. And you don't disunite because of your differences. On the back of that, yeah, no. look at the world. Everything in the world is married to each other. Right? Everything in the world. Then when you understand the molecular okay, diversity, then you can have two very contradictory elements that come together and they serve you. It's Allah's ni'mah, Allah's creativity, that you can have sodium and chlorine come together, both poisonous, and you get your common salt. Right. Allah combines the opposites in such a way that it becomes necessary for your existence. Opposites attract this. They polarize. Right. Anyway, those of you who are scientists, mashallah, know much more about this than I do. But you should bring it out into the open. When you think about it, bring it out in your discussions over the dinner table, tell your children who now combines chlorine and sodium together to give you this. Is God. No one else is there. There's no hidden agent there. Allah does it. And He does it with everything. Meaning everything in the world, although it's diverse, is one whole. It is holistic. Everything is connected, interconnected. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ مَنَامُكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارُ وَابْتِغَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتِ الْخَوْمِ Then from his signs of creativity and signs of his existence is that your sleep at night and sometimes in the day. So the night, usually people sleep more. In the day, people take a nap. This is one of his signs. Why? Because without rest, you will not be able to function. Allah creates you the time and the space for resting, and the time and the space for you to work. Very simple observation. If you were not able to rest, then you will go to the doctor or the shrinker, and he will prescribe you medicine that will make you more sick than you previously were. Right. You don't need it. Allah's fadl on you that He allows you to sleep. Sleep is a big ni'mah. When no It's a means of detaching you from you. So you need to detach yourself from you. Because you get tired of you also. You get sick of yourself. Look at the man. Who am I? Go to sleep. When no He has made now your sleep a means of detachment. Why? Because you and your body, your brain, needs a rest and a break that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to rest 
if, if you as Imam Ghazali points out that if you were to take an average human being's life then he sleeps on average six hours a day from the time he was born until the time he dies then he will have slept uh, 25% of his life how does one account for 25% of our lives if we live much of 60 Allah give us all long lives of barakah and comfort how many, how many years is that? 60 years old. 15 years you spend in sleep. How does one scientifically, or in the corporate world, how does one now do a risk assessment of a human being's life? If you, know, if you were to create human beings, 15 years this person, this machine will be idle. 15 years. Would you make that machine? That's why you're not God. A human being is not a machine. It has emotions, it has needs, it has desires, it has moods, it has mood swings, it has everything that comes with the human being. All of that requires that he sleeps at least 15 years if he's going to live for 60 years. Without that, he will not remain human as we know. Then they had a study of school children who sleep more than others. So they decided in certain states that when the children are young, the school will start at nine. And when the children are older, the school will start at eight. And if they're in the high school senior or whatever, the school will start at seven. They did a study of We said, Baba, you don't need to study. Just read the Quran. Why are you wasting millions of dollars in research? It's idiotic nonsense. Study the Qur'an. The Qur'an gives you the solution and the answer. It's all hidayah guidance for mankind. The kids need to sleep, period. That is how they develop. That's the only way the mind develops, when they are at rest. The mind doesn't develop when the mind is in motion, or in action, or interaction. We made your sleep a means of detachment where you and your conscious and your subconscious may develop underneath you. It's underneath you. You don't see it, but you feel it. You know it's there. So your sleep is one way to attach you with your subconscious. You cannot be attached to your subconscious, meaning the other world, your brain, your inner brain, the world of the angels and the malakut, if you do not rest. That world requires that you are complete rest. This world requires that you are completely alert. So Allah gave you 15 years of sleep so that you develop your mind for the other world. That is why the Arabs used to say, That sleep is the sister of death. Meaning that when you know how to sleep, properly, your mind and your subconscious will develop the ability to transition into the next world where you will not be with your body, but you will there will be with your ruh and your subconscious. And you will not feel the pressure or the, uh, the, the cultural shock. Okay? That is how we understand and appreciate sleep. Not because it's a state of idleness, but it's a state of subconscious growth and spiritual growth. That's how 
Allah has now presented this ayah to us. Nahar Nahar means that you sleep for a few minutes, a few moments in the day, so that you are refreshed and you revitalized. And a few minutes of a nap time, as you know, really helps you, invigorates you to perform better after Dhuhr, towards the evening hours. Unfortunately, people take advantage and they sleep more in the day than in the night. Sometimes sleep at night, not in the day. The daytime is a nap. Not a full-blown siesta, siesta after a two-hour lunch. You have a two-hour siesta. Your day is gone. Your productivity is gone. Anyway, the Prophet did seek help for his tahajjud through his qaylula. Qaylula means that you sleep for five or ten minutes in the day so that you are revigorated and you are strengthened. You can use that strength later on in the night to wake up early in the morning and do your tahajjud. So this is none. And also then, that he gives you the ability to seek from his fadl, from his bounty, from his provision, and from his rahmah, and all the blessings that he brings along for you when you are not sleeping. So if you are not sleeping, you should be engaged. You should be active. You should be doing something to seek Allah's fadl. Allah's fadl comes at different levels and different forms. One is that you seek Allah's risk and you're earning a living or you're trying to earn a living and you are trying to get some food on the table. But that is also part of this ayah. As the Quran says in Surah Al-Jumah that when salat has now finished then disperse around the earth and seek Allah's fadl. There Allah's fadl means Allah's risk. You've done your salat, Jum'ah has now finished, now go back to work. Or do something. Right? So there the word fadl means risk. According to the Fasirun, because the fadl of the, your ruhaniyah, your spirituality, you've already acquired, inshallah, through your Jum'ah. Now you go out and you do what needs to be done outside of salat, outside of the masjid. So this is one level of fadl. Others might call providence, divine providence. Allah gives you risk and wealth and honor and dignity. The other type of fadl is Allah's dhikr itself, as the ayah says, the one I just quoted, and then mention Allah plenty, that's also Allah's fadl. It's a high level of fadl. The other level of fadl, the final level, is ilm. There is no greater fadl of Allah than ilm, knowledge. So that's how you see the ranks of public. The lowest rank, which is halal, your risk, your uh, means of earning, halal, inshallah. Then high level is dhikr, and the highest level is ilm. So that's how the ulama have seen this, and the ummah has implemented this as a civilizational code. Be engaged in something if you are not asleep. Indeed. In this, there are many signs for those who listen. Here Allah doesn't say that you have to think. Listen. Sometimes you need to listen and not think. In the previous ayah about marriage, it's about thinking, contemplating, reflecting, pondering, etc. In this ayah, Allah says, listen. Not listen to what Allah is saying, because if you listen, you will benefit. And don't think too much about it. You don't have to analyze all the time. 
Otherwise, you will get into trouble. You follow the code of Allah's creativity, of Allah's creation, and you will see the benefit within you. These are all universal ayat that Allah subhanahu wa mentioning in this surah, which is Surah Al-Rum, where Muslims were eventually going to be conquering the Romans and through Istanbul of Constantinia, as the Prophet predicted. So before that came about, Allah subhanahu wa gave the Muslims this surah so that they would be able to apply, execute uh, these values, civilizational values. That's what Abu Bakr saw uh, in the uh, Romans defeating the Persians that Muslims will come one day and they will need some signs from God. These are these signs so that we may promote these signs anywhere in the world. And they apply anywhere in the world. If you live uh, in Alaska, you are going to be sleeping in the day more than in the night for six months. And the other six months you'll be sleeping more in the night than in the day. These values that Allah has mentioned here in the Quran, that they apply to any time, any place, to every people, every nation. They're not subject to any place and time or any religion. This is the beauty of understanding why ayat are placed in different surahs. These ayat are placed in this surah, which the Prophet and the Sahaba called Surah Rum, so that he was saying outside of Darul Islam. Others may benefit from Allah's rahmah, and this is what you need to promote. And this is, these are civilizational values and code, and you must see that this is part of our Islamic order. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ يُرِيكُمُ الْبَرْقَ خَوْفًا وَطَمَعًا وَيُنَزِّلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَيُحْيِي بِالْأَرْضُ وَعْدُ مَوْتِهَا إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمِ يَعْقِلُونَ the signs is that he shows you lightning. Out of fear and out of hope. Allah subhanahu wa says that He shows you His, His strength. Lightning is a symbol of Allah's strength and power and His uh, omnipotence. That He's able to create this amount of force and energy uh, in the heavens and the sky. And when the human being looks at that energy from earth, He has now two states. Either He is totally afraid which is most of the time. Or he is hoping. He's hoping if he's a farmer. Farmers hope that there is lightning and thunder and rain because that's the precedent for the rain to come and then give uh, you know, fodder literally to the, the farms and the fields so that there will be harvesting crop and so on and rain for uh, places where there is a drought. So there's two states Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when, when you observe Allah's immense power, you must keep two states in mind. One is that you fear Allah for his strength and say, Allah save me from the wrath of your strength. Or you hope that Allah protects me with your strength. Khawfan wa One and the other both together. You, you cannot overcompensate one at the expense of the other. You must keep both in mind. So when there's immense strength, Allah subhanahu shows through what we call the forces of nature, hurricanes and cyclones, uh, you know, earthquakes, lightning, and storms, etc. Then we must keep both in mind. One is that it is 
very frightening, intimidating, and it should be. And with that fear, you create hope through dua. Allah, you are able to destroy through your strength, and you are also able to protect through the same strength. So the Prophet ﷺ would now see this, and he would make dua if the wind uh, was now blowing too harshly in Medina. That is the beauty of a Nabi. The Nabi sees everything as Allah's creation first, and then makes dua appropriate to the the condition outside. So if the condition outside changed, the Prophet ﷺ would make dua. If there is rain, the Prophet said, make this rain beneficial for us. Do not make this rain detrimental for us. Allah wa la alayna. But make the rain fall around us, but not on top of us. That doesn't mean that the rain wasn't falling in Medina. It means that make the rain beneficial for us, not detrimental to us. So this ayah gives us the adab that wherever you are faced with the brute forces of nature, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power of creation and creativity, His omnipotence, you must fear His strength instead of analyzing through what we call geographic. National Geographic gives you analysis of how these forces work. Baba, this force is going to kill you in the next five minutes. Sit down, make dhikr. Right. Sit down, make dhikr. Don't read that. Why are you watching the weather channel? There's a tornado around you. Let's sit down and watch CNN. SubhanAllah. The stupidity of a human being. You're sitting there with the TV watching all the other shots from all over the country. And you're not making dhikr. Right. Stupid. So the Prophet says, never mind the analysis. Yes, if you're a scientist, that's fine. That, that's just a science and a discipline. But the practical order is what? You must fear, and you must also hope. The fear comes because they're in front of you. The hope is your dua. Your Allah, this is our request to you, that you don't destroy us, and you don't harm us, and so on. This is the prophetic code, the code of the Sunnah of Muhammad one of his signs is that he also sends down water from the heaven and then he revives with it the earth after its death. This is a sign of Allah's creativity that he may extract and be living from the dead and how human beings get their food every year. We must see this as something of an eye that needs to put on. The shelf somewhere and forget about it. No, every year, this is how you get your food. Every year. Without this process, you will not have a risk. You will not be able to say, I'm going to seek Allah's fadl now, because I have done enough ibadah. If you don't have this, you won't get that risk or the fadl either. So you must observe this as Allah's ni'mah and ask Allah for His fadl, His continued support and sustenance. Indeed, in this, there are many signs, many signs for those who understand. Here, we are required to understand, not just listen, also understand. <coughs> and from his signs, is that the heavens stand and the earth with his command, meaning the fact that the heavens and earth have not 
collapsed and caved in within themselves is a sign of Allah's continued fadl and rahmah upon you. It could be destroyed in any moment. That is Allah's ability, His power. But the fact that He doesn't do this, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَوْبَ أَنْدَزُولَا وَلَيْنْ زَالَتَا إِنْ أَمْسَكُهُمَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ مِنْ بَعْدِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala restrains the heavens and the earth from falling and collapsing and from moving. If He does not, then who is going to do that? You die. The whole universe will cave in and Allah will destroy the universe one day. But the fact that He's not doing it now means He's giving you time to reflect, He's giving you time to understand, He's giving you time to make shukr and do more dua and zikr and so on. Appreciate what He is doing for you every moment. Now, again, the law of astronomy and physics is one side and the law of ibadah is another sign that you must see this as Allah's sign with you a sign of his trouble on you. ثُمَّ إِذَا دَعَاتُمْ دَعْوَةً مِنَ الْأَرْضِ إِذَا أَنْتُمْ تَخُذُونَ And then, all of a sudden, one time, in one moment, when he will call you with a very special type of calling from the earth, then you will come out from the earth, meaning the time will come when the heavens and earth will collapse, and not only will you die, the universe will also die. And after that, he will call you with one call, you will be resurrected. Meaning the process of creation is very easy. The laws is mentioned in the next two ayat. So here the point of seeing, observing, uh, thinking about, understanding, listening to how Allah creates in this universe is to appreciate that He can recreate very easily. Number one. Number two, everything follows His order. Everything that He creates other than the human being and the jinn follows the order of Allah willingly and they submit to the cosmic order of Allah so man's role is to do the same man must also follow the cosmic order of submission to Allah's laws Allah's rules Allah's ahkam and then man will see how Allah is favoring him and will continue to favor him the difference is man will be resurrected where other species will not be resurrected other than the jinn which I mentioned. And to him alone belongs whoever is in the heavens and the earth, the angels, the jinn, the human, any other species that has intelligence and worships Allah freely with their, through their own volition, they will be resurrected and they will belong to Allah. It is to him that they are subservient. They obey him, they are subservient to him, and they worship him the way that they worship him. Allah is now calling the whole world outside of the Muslim band to say, look, the cosmic order is there. The holistic creation of Allah is there. What we are offering is the way of the Prophet Muhammad that is in sync with that holistic order, with the cosmic order, so that we submit to him the way everything else around us submits and that is your theory of world peace you want a theory of world peace worship Allah the way everything around you worships Allah subhanahu wa that is the cosmic order وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَبْدَأُ الْخَلْقَ ثُمَّ يُعِيدُهُ وَهُوَ أَهْوَنُ عَلَيْهِ and he is the one who initiates creation and then he will bring it back 
Al-Mubdi'u wal-Mu'id That he initiates, he creates, he begins And then he brings it back And the second creation is much easier, lighter on him As a refutation to those who say There is no such thing as resurrection Because how will God resurrect? And so how did he create in the first place? So the one who initiates is able to resurrect and reinitiate. Reinitiation is much easier than initiation. Al-Fatir, Allah subhanahu wa is now the original creator of the heavens and the earth and everything within them. So this is one thing. The other is that Allah subhanahu wa is omnipotent and he is not in need of time or space to do anything. He creates because he can. And he creates because he wants to. This is who Allah is. And you take this message to everybody within Darul Islam, outside of Darul Islam, and say this is how God wants you to relate to him through his creation. We can understand Allah through his ayat and through his creation. We cannot understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through him because we can't reach him, we can't perceive him, we cannot conceive him. How do you reach Allah? Through His creation. Understand His creation, you'll understand what He is, who He is, what He does. This was the kalam or the theology of Muslims throughout time that we do not discuss Allah. We discuss His creation. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing. These passages is discussing His creation. For Him there's a sublime similitude in the heavens and the earth, meaning observe the, these phenomena. And observe these ayat and signs and you will see that the person and the being who is able to create such creation, how do you think he is able, to, what he will be able to do if you were close to him and when you meet him? This is supreme order of creation that Muslims understand and appreciate. Wahul Aziz al-Hakim, he is the most supreme, mighty and powerful and domineering, whatever word you want to use for Aziz. Al-Hakim, the all-wise, means there's always a reason and a purpose and an order for what he does. He doesn't do anything haphazardly, and he doesn't do anything out of sport and amusement. He does what he does through his order of wisdom. That wisdom you may discern, sometimes here and other times over there, when you get there. But you won't be able to discern everything here, because time and space will restrict you and stop you from understanding the divine. Anyway, these ayahs, as you can see, are very appealing, uh, they're very dynamic, and they're very engaging. If you were to speak about these ayahs to any person, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, they will be enthralled, and they should be moved to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the way you will present and represent, and then represent these facts to people. But first, you have to do it in yourself with yourself and by yourself. So before you preach to others, you must preach to yourself. This is subhanAllah amazing that I never thought about these issues and these signs of Allah's creativity, omnipotence, omnipresence. I should be doing this for me first before I think about preaching this to others. And that was the mode and the model of the Sahaba that they learned Iman first and then they learned the Quran. That doesn't mean to say they didn't read the Quran. It means that they applied faith into whatever they read as wahi. So if wahi was there, they knew this from Allah. 
this haq, this supreme truth, I must believe that this is the ultimate truth. Once I assent to that and I become that, then I can speak about it to others. But if I'm in a state of confusion, skepticism, denial, refusal to believe, etc., then I will not be able to represent nor represent the truth because I don't believe in it. Which is unfortunately the plight of Muslims that they want to represent and represent Islam, but they don't believe Islam is the truth. There's so much confusion in there. Maybe not this one. With the Sahaba, it is the truth, period. Then the truth in you creates the ability within you to explain and persuade. You cannot persuade if you don't believe yourself. You can't convince anybody if you don't believe it. Well, this is about marriage. I'm not sure that the, this verse of the Quran addresses marriage appropriately. Okay, if you're not sure, then sit down be quiet. Maybe you shouldn't get married, period. Why are you trying to make mockery out of the ayat of Allah when you don't believe yourself personally? So you must believe yourself personally that this is the truth. Once the conviction is there and you assent, you have a level of tasdeeq, then you will be able to represent and represent in front of anyone else because this is who you are and what you are. So that the problem in the ummah is not that they don't know how to read the Qur'an, which is also a problem, but they don't have faith in what Allah is saying, neither at the individual level, nor at the social level, nor at the societal level, and definitely not at the political level. That's where now what you believe is what you promote. And that's what other people see. They see chaos and they see confusion. And with the Sahaba, they saw order. They saw peace. They saw that there is coherence, consistency, because they were already persuaded by the Prophet that this is the ultimate truth. This is the haqq. And that would be my advice to me and to you, inshallah, give us all. The nur of these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the tawfiq to follow the nur and to appropriate these ayat in our lives in such a way that Allah is happy with us here and there. We will see you soon. For those of you who want to 